This is the Startups A to Z podcast. I'm Hillary Hirsch. And I'm Mark Sholin. Hillary and I are here to share conversations all about the Arizona startup community. So, Mark, it is October 30th, and tomorrow is Halloween. Have any plans? Halloween, the the demon holiday, as uh, some might think of it. I don't know. I've never been much of a Halloween guy. Um, Trick-or-treating was fun back in the the day. A little old for that. Uh, I remember dressing up as like a a pirate. It was fun times. Yes. Uh, But uh, I don't know. Don't really... I mean, I have some... uh, football going on in the morning as i do every saturday flag football that is um yeah we'll see what happens from there but uh what about you yeah no same my day is kind of lame but i guess that's what happens when you're an adult and you don't have kids (laughs) i guess so i mean even college times they're uh fun funds there to be had but uh we'll see exactly um so on today's show um, we have a very special guest. His name is Brent Siebold. He is the director of the Startup Center, which is in the Fulton Schools of Engineering at ASU. Hey there, Brent. Hey, glad to be here. Hey, Brent. Hi. Well, we're glad you're. you're uh, we're glad that you're glad to be here, as opposed to the opposite, of course. Um, we go back quite a ways, Brent. We do. Uh, back to the. Uh, the early days of my company, back when we were still at uh, residing in Skysong with yep. our office space as part of the Edson program. And, uh, yeah, you came in to uh, replace the, the the old guard, among other people, too. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of uh, hit it off since then. We did. So, yeah, it's um, magical. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the you know that you're able to come on the show and we can maybe swap some stories of the the old days and then of course talk to our main point of discussion which is uh evidence-based pitching that's our topic for today that's uh, a topic that plays into the more broad-based lean startup methodology and you know how all that has evolved over time so uh definitely useful information for us to go over but uh, we're not here to lecture anyone we just want to have a nice uh, a nice informal conversation yeah right no i'm here to lecture uh, <laughs> i come from well, academia so uh then i'm I here le- to then i'm it here does to say to that on off. your business card <laughs> it does i'm a lecturer that's old school it, it's it's almost embarrassing so before we get started uh don't forget learn more about the show by visiting www.startupsa-to-z.com Check us out on Facebook by searching for Startups A to Z. We post pictures from each interview along with links to new episodes and other local startup news. Another way to keep up with the show, Brent, is to follow us on Twitter at Startups A to Z. If you haven't already, I encourage mm. you to do so. i uh, right now. Okay, good. Sweet. Well, uh, so when you do, make sure you send us a message, too, and I, as, uh, as I want to the rest of our audience to do as they see fit. And most importantly, um, everyone should be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your podcast platform of choice. So with that, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Uh, so evidence-based pitching. Uh, you know, I had to kind of guess a little bit as to what that was. Uh, I'd love for uh, us to kick us off here with, uh, tell us the inspiration for picking this topic. Yeah, so uh, in my role at Arizona State, I work with a really diverse uh, swath of student entrepreneurs as well as faculty, staff, uh, community members that just kind of happen to roll in as taxpayers and say, hey, can we get some help? So um, 
I've learned a lot since, as Mark mentioned, he and I met back in 2011 when he was uh, hacking away uh, on her, his venture, ArbSource. And I, I, w- I would like to say Mark and his team was actually one of the very first student ventures that I really actually bonded with. We had an opportunity to travel together almost, I think it was in my first couple months of being in that role at ASU. And we went up to yep. Denver. Yeah, we went to Denver uh, for, to travel for the Clean Tech Open finals yeah, for that year very and pitch for, uh, for some funding and other sorts of uh, benefits from that program. And yeah. do you think Mark won? Yes or no? Um, yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, was... our team was one of the winners. It wasn't just yeah. me, of course. But, he killed uh, it. Don't, don't, let him, awesome. don't let him put it that way. He, he nailed it. He was ultra prepared. And uh, I did very little. I was very green at that time uh, in working with startups. Uh, I'd been a miserable entrepreneur myself uh, leading into that role. And so to see somebody with the talent uh, that Mark and his team brought to the table and and to really deploy that in a way that was effective and and really swayed people to kind of see the world in which the way they saw it was, was really inspiring. And it's a lot of fun. So it's it's yeah. great to kind of come. This is in full circle. We have many more iterative circles to come, yep. the three of us and all of you out in the audience. So this is easy for me because uh, the show is being recorded uh, during normal work hours. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Nice. Uh, getting out into the community and networking with a lot of the really fast-paced entrepreneurs that we have is difficult for me at the moment. My wife and I, we just welcomed our second child in the world uh, two months ago. So Congratulations. We're, yeah. Thanks. We're in baby mode right at the yeah. moment. But uh, <laughs> it's baby mode every day of my life uh, in terms of working with startups. In, not in that they um, – you know, have baby problems, but uh, it's that whole process of going from kind of starry-eyed vision of what the world in your life is going to be as an entrepreneur to dragging you back, uh, you know, oftentimes. Um, to reality. To re- right. Yes. Yes. To, yes, to, to, to this world of let's, let's uh, work in the realm of fact, not, you know, vision or, you know, sometimes yeah. guesses and other things. So that that leads us back to the topic I presented here today for the two of you was this this idea of evidence-based entrepreneurship which was uh has been spearheaded by uh uh a really uh, thoughtful gentleman Steve Blank. Many of you already know who that is. You've read his books, you've uh subscribed to his uh, newsletters, you have engaged in programs that he's rolled out across the country. He's now involved with the National Science Foundation. So in my opinion, this guy has shifted the paradigm of entrepreneurial kind of training, if there is such a thing, Uh, because I was a student of the old school of entrepreneurship, which uh, according to Steve's paradigm, and I'll paraphrase here and I'll add my two cents, was very ego-driven, you know, that kind of that fresh and a lot of this, when you're a college-age student or even a new entrepreneur, you have this kind of uh, – your ego comes out and says, wow, I really – I see this yeah. in my mind's eye. And as long as I can figure out a way to raise money and build it and put it up for sale, of course a line down the block is going to come and want to buy it from right. me. Of course that's going to happen. And I'll make it happen no matter what anyone says. Exactly. Kind of yeah. mentality. Yeah. So, so I've been there. I know Mark's been there to a certain extent. Steve Blank yep. had been there. And uh, so, so uh, you know, as a business student studying entrepreneurship, actually back in the late 90s, you know, our, our end goal of that academic program was to actually write, like, you know, the standard 30, 50, 100-page business plan, you know, 
again, based completely on ego and myth, that if you have the uh, sheer fortitude to go ahead and write out that entire plan, that once it's written, of course, you're going to attract venture funding. And of course, once the funding's in place, you're going to build the product or service. And then, of course, things are going to fall directly into place. So that's the old school. Like, we don't have to retread that. I think everybody that we talk to in the startup community agrees that's not generally the right approach you want to take. And so we made this shift, you know, dating back to about 2010. You know, uh, there was a couple key books that came out at the end of the 2000s into the early part of the 2010 to up until now. There's still great books coming out. But um, that's really when that paradigm shift happened, at least for me and a lot of other people playing in this space, where we went from the ego-driven entrepreneurship to the fact-based or evidence-based entrepreneurship. And what, as Mark said, a lot of people refer to as the lean startup methodology. So what I wanted to come in here today to talk about is, you know, we are, we're all pretty much aware of lean startup method, the business model canvas, all of these tools that are now in place to kind of precurse the, the, the business plan, which shouldn't go away, but that's assuming you have a viable business model. Once you have that viable, once you go through the methodology to get to the viable business model, then then the business plan comes into, into uh, effect. But uh, what we're working on at ASU, what I've been working on, is is a methodology to enhance, you know, this lean startup methodology. And 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 it, believe it or not, it actually hinges on pitching, which gets a bad rap uh, in a lot of startup circles. So I'm here to give my two cents on that, and maybe uh, create some en- enemies, and maybe create. Two friends. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, Brent, that sounds really interesting. Evidence-based pitching. Evidence-based translates into other industries as well. So not just entrepreneurship. You were mentioning earlier medicine uses it. It's a very common practice now. So what does that mean for evidence-based pitching? Great question. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mentioned medicine because I've been at ASU for quite a while, long before I met Mark in, in 2011. And one of my prior roles at ASU was actually working in the uh, the College of Nursing. And uh, they had a dean at the time that was uh, a world-renowned uh, researcher in the, in the realm of evidence-based nursing, speeding up the time it takes to go from intervention in, in kind of a, a lab or a a bedside scenario to it being kind of common practice that's rolled out every single day of the week in a hospital or a care facility. So it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. We want to speed up that um, process by which we come up with an innovation, a product or a service or whatever it is, to take that innovation more quickly and efficiently to the market that can benefit from it. So uh, the, the, the main driver of speeding that process up is valid evidence, not a bunch of blowhards going around saying, buy this, like my Facebook page, tweet at me, you know, do all this other, what Eric Reese calls, who's a disciple and one of the leaders of the lean startup movement calls vanity data. So vanity data is the, the direct competitor of actual data, which translates into evidence, right? So data supports evidence, which supports good anything. And so what I'm arguing here today is that good output that we should strive for potentially as a startup community. And what I'm striving my students to push towards is an evidence-based pitch. So maybe it'd be helpful if I kind of explain what the, what the baseline has been for us, you know, at ASU and I think around the community as well in terms of how these people, 
let's just go back to 2010 when you know Mark yeah. and I met shortly. I, I think right. you probably got the venture started around 2010, and then we met in 2011. But right. that was when people were really starting to kind of say, hey, check out this business model canvas. You should use this as a tool to really validate or reject some of the key drivers of your business model before you go out and start you yeah. know, raising Yeah, back capital. then it was pretty much brand new, yeah. um, which is it been interesting for me to think about because it seems like pretty common sense just mapping it out like that. But uh, I guess it, it's not. So, I mean, what do you think makes it such a special model? Why did it take so long, relatively speaking, for, uh, for that shift to take place? Well, that's that's a loaded question. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's it's. I mean, I'm probably not the best person to comment on that. I, I think some much smarter people than I have have wrote at nauseum about this topic. Um, but but in a nutshell, I mean, we had been practicing that ego driven version of entrepreneurship for almost the past century. I mean, Steve Blank does a really good job of weighing out the history of entrepreneurship as it relates to education and, you know, how this, how startups have historically been treated like smaller versions of larger companies and larger companies typically have a validated business model. So when you're teaching entrepreneurs, the basics of, you know, uh, finance and accounting and management and all of these things that, you know, in the past sounded like they should matter to startups, that's actually the wrong approach. Um, So, and uh, I can see what you mean. I mean, I kind of dealt with that a bit myself firsthand as far as uh, working on such a uh, technology-driven product and business, the expectations from some of the early coaches around me was, uh, yeah, uh, create a very detailed set of five-year pro formas, make sure that it's created as an income statement, balance sheet, uh, and just, you know, doing all these very precise and rather boring and not value-added <laughs> right. activities time consuming i mean it's it basically i mean it was being treated like i think ultimately a homework assignment you you and hit the nail on the head i'm so glad you brought that up and yeah. I, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later because mm. that was one of the points i wanted to make you know when yeah. you're working with these startup teams they don't they have a finite amount of time right especially in college like everybody's got a boyfriend a girlfriend a part-time job five classes and sports, you know, the mm-hmm. flight football and whatever else they want to do. The last thing they want uh, to add on top of that, if they're running a startup on the side, is have to, you know, make these projections that are based on not fact in many cases. It's based on your right. best guess. And and right. so those mentors at the time would, would say to Mark, well, you know, I realize this is swag. That's what uh, one of my mentors called it scientific wild ass guesses. I realize that you're making a wild ass guess here on these performers, but it's not so much the accuracy of the numbers; it's the fact that y- sure. y- that you're you willing to do it. And it's just like, come on, uh, there's better ways for startup yeah. management teams to be spending their time. And, th- and exactly. that's where we go back to: how do we leverage these new tools to collect va- valid data that will then help us inform mm. those projections when the time is right to right, make Right, right. Yeah, my point wasn't to not do that type of activity, but it's just to do so in a way that is more uh, efficient mm-hmm. and that uh, can actually be more value-added and where you can you know, actually build a strategy based off of it in a faster time frame. Right. Well, when I asked you about why it's taken so long to get to this shift, if I had to guess... I'd say it probably has a lot to do with technology and particularly internet and just how that's totally permeated into our lives and made it much faster to access all sources of information. So 
Uh, how does that, the, the uh, role of just this rapid pace of technology development, particularly when it comes to being able to develop software applications without having to spend years and years studying code, how has all that played into this new lean startup focus and particularly this evidence-based focus? Great, another great question. And so um, I'm not sure where your audience is sitting in terms of you know their particular idea or product or service, but what I don't want to do is turn this into the Steve Blank and Eric Reese show. I mean, these guys, uh, along with Alex Osterwater, who developed the business model canvas, have, have literally scores of very uh, beautifully produced uh, explainer videos and uh, you know blog posts and articles and even full-length books written on this paradigm shift that I mentioned earlier. In a nutshell, uh, what happened was, you know, this, this shift of methodology was born out of, like all things, failure and chaos, right? It actually kind of the tipping point, the way Steve Blank described it was after the dot-com bubble, you know, he and his colleagues looked around Silicon Valley and just said, what happened? We're all brilliant. You know, this, this is the ego piece, right? We're all brilliant engineers or business people or whoever, you know, we founded several startups before. What did we do wrong? And so what he did, which as, a, as an academic I find really cool, was he actually linked this, this process of uh, research uh, that any, any standard academic researcher would go through to the process of uh, creating a brand new thing, a venture, a product, or service in a uh, petri dish of uncertainty. And he said, we didn't do that. We, we, we kind of thought we knew the answers before we actually went out and ran the experiments and collected the data and actually saw what consumer behavior would dictate. And the classic example of this is webvan.com. You know, they were the Amazon drone before Amazon existed, where they said they were going to deliver groceries to your house, you know, just because they got a .com. And what they didn't do was really understand that Consumers at the time actually liked going to the grocery store. They didn't want it delivered. They wanted to smell the apples, and they wanted to squeeze the – what do you squeeze? I don't even know. Avocados. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So they wanted to do that stuff. So they, the, the hypotheses they were making about their brand-new thing were not grounded in data. They were grounded in ego and we're genius entrepreneurs. As soon as we build this company, of course – all these people are going to line up down the block and want to uh, sign up and completely change their buying habits. So out of the ashes of the dot-com uh, bubble burst is, is really where this kind of uh, this lean methodology got its, its footing. And so you asked about technology. In my opinion, it didn't really catch on in the popular culture until, and this is a great story, and I don't know how many people know it, but again, I'm a fanboy of these guys, but Eric Reese was actually a student of Steve Blank who wrote this book, Four Steps the Epiphany, and he was going to invest in Eric Reese's company, and he said, the only way I'll make an investment is if you actually come in and take my class. I think he was teaching at Stanford or Berkeley at the time, and Eric said, all right, I'll take your stupid class as long as I get your your cash, you know, so we can grow our, our ego-driven <laughs> yeah, company. Getting paid right. to go to class, yeah. Yeah, so he, Eric admits this. He says, you, you know, I, I, we, were, we were on an ego trip. We just needed cash so we could continue to burn through it and keep ourselves exactly. afloat. Right. And uh, so he said, come on into class. And Eric had an epiphany uh, based on the methodology that Steve was laying out. But what Eric did was he actually, like, like you two, I give you a lot of kudos for this work you're doing on, with this podcast, is he actually documented the process by which Steve was having him kind of uh, cycle through, uh, to your point, uh, 
a much more rapid process of deploying um, uh, experiments uh, in regard to the software that he wanted to build for a specific segment of the market. Uh, so that's what he did. He, you know, he took this experimental data-driven approach versus the know-it-all approach. He documented it through a blog. I think it might have actually been called Lean Startup. Uh, maybe he changed that. That's his brand now. But, uh, but that turned into a book, and the book caught fire. You know, Steve's writing prior to the Lean Startup was sometimes hard to get through. Uh, it was a little under the radar. But Eric Reese, his student, took Steve's concepts and really turned it into pop- popular culture. And then once that those two kind of got linked up, they, they formed kind of a trifecta with the business model canvas, which tied the two things together. But and this is all the foundation for the work that we're currently doing now, because in, you know, we got some flack early on when Mark and I were working together at Skysong that, you know, we had some mentors come in, many of whom Mark probably worked with and said, you know, you guys are putting way too much, uh, you know, time and energy into pushing this this lean startup methodology. Whoa, 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 whoa. We need to go hold off here. There's still a lot of merit to the business planning and everything else. And they had a, they had a point, but I've seen the shift. I mean, there's one mentor in particular that I still work with that I met back in 2011 and who's still very active with me now at ASU. And he is totally all in. So it's it's really seeing the effect of this methodology on real practicing entrepreneurial teams. Not to say that any of them have gone on to be the next Instagram or or, uh, fill in the name of big startup here, but he has seen that this method is much more um, efficacious than the old school method that he was so in love with, uh, you know, back a few years ago. So this has happened very rapidly. Oh, yeah. And it it seems like it's not, it's not like you mentioned a foolproof way to if you do this, then yeah, you're concept is going to really, you know, start up, but really what it's about is just, it's about working smarter and not harder because at the end of the day, test it out, see if it works. And if it does great, then let's go for it. But if not, don't waste the money. Don't waste the time. Let's be smart about this. That's exactly right. It's it's all about incremental risk reduction. That's how I, Mm -hmm. that's how I process it through my mind. It's all about risk. I love it. But it's so funny to hear you both say that because Nine times out of 10. (laughs) And so there's a huge evangelism piece that I need your help with. And that's why I was excited to come on the show is because the way you just kind of summed up what we had just been talking about uh, is still very, very difficult for most entrepreneurs to, uh, I mean, they'll agree with it. They're not their head, but at least the students and some of even the faculty I work with are still stuck in that ego piece where it's like, Oh, yeah, I'll go through the motions. But at the end of the day, I know what's in my mind is going to blow up and change the world. I'm going to become a millionaire. Right. I mean, and I'm guilty of it, too. I tell my kids all the time. I'm still a entrepreneur where, you know, I've I've struggled through this process of having these grandiose visions of a product, a service, whatever it is, platform, app, show, fill in the blank, only to have it fizzle. And so, yes, you should be incrementally working through hypotheses by running experience. I I would say the show is an experiment, right? I mean, this is a very lean experiment to find out if you have value and if you're getting, you know, value in return for that. Yeah, exactly. It's exciting. Well, it it has been exciting already. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, Brent, as far as the whole – trying to train yourself out of that ego-driven mindset yeah i was definitely there 
and who knows, maybe still am in some like ways. Like an AA meeting. I know. It's like you never really know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I, I imagine listening to this a year from now, I'll probably think that, uh, yeah, totally off the walls um, with the new company. Here's the thing is it was very painful in the early days for ArbSource. And um, I was too naive at the time, though, to really understand that, uh, which I guess was a good thing and that otherwise it just would have been too discouraged to keep going. Right. Um, but with, you know, the upside of that is, you know, taking all that knowledge and learning and, uh, yeah, and stings from before and being able to circumvent all that and just uh, really make it a much more streamlined process to get things up and going and to limit the number of assumptions that we have to make about uh, our ability to make money on our product and to be able to maintain a business model. So, yeah, it's tough to get trained out of that. So, I mean, what are you trying to do to get that in people's heads, uh, uh, you know, that where they don't have to learn it the hard way, particularly students, because I'm sure that's tough. Yeah, it, it is. And and so, again, thank you both for, for giving us a platform to talk about this because it's, it is important and it is relatively new. So, you know, the, the, the mass population – Shark Tank is is you know on uh, national TV, so people are kind of getting psyched up about you know entrepreneurship as being. I mean, it's the American way. Let's let's be right. real, right? But now it's coming into more popular vernacular, and there's shows on. You know, what did HBO just had a uh, show that that ran uh, pretty well? It's in its second season. Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon Valley. Yeah. yeah. I so mean, that's a parody of what we're talking about, which <laughs> I think is great. It's one of my favorite shows to watch. Um, but uh, you're right, it is more pervasive. Um, and yeah, and it's uh, the kind of thing where um, it, it's important not to take it too seriously either. That's why I love things like Silicon Valley out there and, and even Shark Tank where they, you know, sometimes they bring on companies as, uh, you know, oh, teaching, put, putting moment. a lamb yeah. to the teaching slaughter moment. or whatever. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, so the first point here is evangelism. So, I've dropped a lot of names. Hopefully, maybe on the website we can we can put in a couple of key web links. Sure. So Certainly. all of these methodologies that I've spoken about up until this point are are out there, and that's what's beautiful about these thought leaders that have really pioneered this paradigm shift in you know entrepreneurial education is that it's very open source in that they're not trying to necessarily monetize this uh, this method, and so. We at ASU are are fully behind that. Uh, you know, we want to share uh, things that are working well for us because at ASU we do things at scale. We're the largest university in the country. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if we're finding out ways in which we can deploy this method in kind of a unique or tweaked way, um, our goal is to, to share that with both entrepreneurs and with other other folks such as yourselves that are willing out there uh, trying to raise all ships in the harbor. So uh, very excited about the opportunity to do that. So uh, moving forward, Mark, your question was, uh, you know, how do we convey this in a way that actually bears fruit? And so, again, because this these methodologies are fairly new, just dating back, you know, just let's say five years, we haven't seen we haven't collected enough kind of longitudinal data to support that this method is like killing the old ego driven method. I think all of us look at each other and say, OK, pragmatically speaking, I think this is much better than the old version. So let's just keep going down this road and and all kind of contributing to the advancement of this method and the kind of the tweaking of it. So my um, uh, addition to this this chorus of people 
kind of singing the praises of this method is is what I what I pitched to Mark uh, and Hillary here is this evidence based pitching. So the main tool for uh, going through lean startup is the business model canvas and. Part of it is just getting this baseline vernacular of, you know, hypothesis. So in entrepreneurship, we start with problem, solution, and both of those typically are are guesses, right? So the business model canvas is a tool to collect guesses, you know. So what is the problem? What is your guess at who has the problem? And then how do we run experiments to go out and, and engage with people that can either validate or reject those guesses we're making about the fit between both the problem and the solution and the fit between the product or the innovation we're building, the show, the, the, the water bottle, the, you know, whatever it is that you're developing. I, just, I don't know where I got water bottle. I looked yeah. at Mark's. <laughs> whatever it is that you're building, how do we get that product to fit with the market that we assume wants it? There's many tools that we can employ, and those tools are out there. So what the problem we've been seeing in working with larger groups of both individual entrepreneurs and teams of entrepreneurs is that uh, have them – use these tools in the classroom or in a cohort, like an incubator cohort, an accelerator cohort, is that oftentimes because they're on all such different wavelengths dealing with different market segments, different value propositions, different technologies, different you know stages of development, there's, there's so many different variables that um, oftentimes going from one business model to the next, you get bogged down in the details and there's fine print and there's really wacky things that should have been left off. And I guess the main point I'm saying is these are great tools, but they don't translate necessarily very well to the real world of people that have uh, the ability, the bandwidth, the money, the resources to, to help those ventures move into the next phase of development that they need. At ASU, we can only take them so far. We're, we're, we're positioned amazingly where we have literally competitions that award up to $100,000 in seed funding. Uh, which is great. Not many schools can say that. <coughs> U of A, Hillary. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> oh, wait, hey. I, hey. Who is doing the uh, Bearcat? Uh, is, or no, yeah. The C. Yeah, the C. But <laughs> n- I'm, not, I'm not here to drag anybody through the mud, but we're in a really good position to fuel this, these experiments that we're asking these students to run. Um, but but the people externally in the ecosystem that are, are going to want to hear what, what these teams, and even you, if, if you're not affiliated with ASU or any institution, you don't need to be. Uh, a lot of That's a misconception is people think they need to enroll in a class or, you know, do something specific to learn how to do this. You don't. I mean, so, if you— So just so we're clear, so you're saying that anyone that might be listening to this, um, as long as they're in Arizona or even maybe not in Arizona, they can— reach out to you or other people at ASU and plug in and, and get this um, all this knowledge and training? Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying earlier. Most okay. of it, the, the best stuff, in my opinion, uh, don't tell my coworkers this or my <laughs> colleagues, but, uh, I mean, it is open source, and it's coming from all over the world. I mean, it's right. coming from the two coasts. It's coming from uh, Europe. I mean, there's a lot of very uh, smart, seasoned entrepreneurs that are willing to give back and share the lessons they've learned deploying these methodologies in a very open source way. So, no, you don't need to, in my opinion, uh, and this is blasphemy, you know, I hope my employer is not listening, but you don't need to enroll in a course or do anything special. What you need to do is be open to uh, working. I mean, the number one metric of success in entrepreneurship is just flat out hard work, you know, and that's why, you know, I'll tell anybody to listen. I'm I'm a entrepreneur because I'm just 
lazy uh, more more uh, often than not. You know, and it takes a lot of effort. Mark knows this. Hillary knows this. Hopefully, all yeah. of you know this. If you're willing to work hard, that mean that tells me you're also willing to learn hard. And and so there is no secret sauce. Uh, but the the point I want to make here is that. Um, You know, if you're deploying these tools, what I'd like to see happen is mapping the insights you will gain as a startup management team onto what the real world is looking for much earlier in the process. So that's where we get to the term pitch. So it goes from we've talked a lot about evidence base and what that means in relation to this lean startup movement. How does that map onto a pitch? So in the real world, a lot of investors and a lot of people that want to support startups, whether it's financially or with just strategic introductions, want to be, in simple terms, kind of entertained. They want to have a conversation just like we're having. They don't want to be walked through a scholarly method with a very boring black and white business model canvas. And so th- this is something we've struggled with with working with, with startup teams in that you know, when they come into a cohort and we're wanting to support them through this, this method or this you know, process of uh, hypothesis, experiment, data collection, and then kind of reporting that out and then making strategic pivots one way or the other, uh, you know, we've been looking for, okay, we need a checklist or we need uh, Asana or we need some other management tool to make sure that all these disparate startup teams are kind of meeting the next milestone that's supposed to be met. So I've seen all sorts of tools out there that startups are kind of leveraging to communicate what they're working on on a daily, sometimes hourly, daily, uh, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis with their mentors and other supporters to show that they're making progress. It's not so, and this goes back to Mark's point, a lot of that is busy work because I don't care necessarily about, you know, the meetings you're having and some of the, what we care about ultimately is, are you gaining insight as a learning startup organization? So the, so it's Steve Blank's definition of a startup is a temporary organization searching around in the dark for a repeatable, scalable business model. Mm. What's going to, what is the one thing that's going to help us find that repeatable, scalable business model? It's insight. And so how do humans like to have insight communicated to them? Through stories, through an informative presentation, not through kind of a checklist or a worksheet or an Asana task list or whatever you want to call it. So that's the big argument that I came here to make is that I'd like to see our startup community kind of take the underpinnings of this lean startup methodology and much more earlier with all of our baby startups map it on to uh, what I would call an evidence-based pitch deck. And so I've developed kind of templates for this for my students and love to share it with the community. In fact, it was born out of the community. You know, no template was born out of one individual genius. So I can't claim credit for it. We've just been kind of massaging and adding on to templates we've curated from all over the web and uh, from some of the leaders here in the community. So it's really just giving um, our startups a means by which they can tell a much more evidence-based story about the genesis of their startup. Well, I'm, I'm sure it is. I, um, I haven't seen uh, the template, so I'm a bit in the dark about it. So what are some of the highlights that make it truly different than more traditional templates that have been out there for a while? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. That was not it's a loaded the, it's question. It's the obvious question <laughs> to ask. Yeah, so it, you know, the, the, the key um, aspect of the lean startup uh, movement is this concept of customer discovery. And 
Steve Blank has this mantra that goes, get out of the building. I'm probably preaching to the choir. But for those of you that have been through this before, excuse me, you can turn off the, well, don't turn off the podcast. They'll be <laughs> mad at me. But so this idea of customer discovery is the startup team actually going through the hard work of getting outside of their ego, outside of their boardroom, outside of the lab, outside of the basement or the garage or wherever they're building this genius product or service that they've dreamed up and actually going out to engage their users, customers, suppliers, you know, all the all the different pieces of the business model. You got to go out and actually have in-depth interviews with these people to make sure that the guesses you've hypothesized uh, are supported by their feedback or their data. So that's where the insight comes. So one of the cool things about this is that um, us in the startup coaching industry, you know, the first reaction to that for, for, for entrepreneurs, it's really easy. Oh, well, I'll just send out a survey. You know, and right away your survey is complete crap. It's totally biased. You know, right. the, the way you ask the questions, you've got a Likert scale. You know, you're sending the survey to your friends and family, and your mom's right. like, "Oh, good job, Hillary. Yeah, I would totally buy this. You know, great ideas. Gold check, star. check, check. Yeah. So again, that goes back to this idea of vanity data. But if you're really and and here here it is, the number one requirement of an, a successful entrepreneur is is rigor. And hard work. So if you're willing to actually go out there, pound the pavement, have these face-to-face interviews, and that's that's the gold standard of good startup data is face-to-face or if you can't get face-to-face, Skype. Because insight comes from nuance. It doesn't come from a Likert scale. So when you ask somebody a question about your proposed you know, uh, intervention or product or service, they're immediately going to react in a way that's either positive or negative, And you can play off of either one of those. And actually, bad you know, a bad reaction is a lot of times more insightful than a good one. Right. And you can, you can say, Hillary, you just cringed at what I just said. What, tell me more about that. You know, and one of the great questions, if you could wave a magic wand, what would be the perfect solution to this problem that we just agreed was super pressing? And they, you get these crazy responses in this open-ended setting over coffee or beer or whatever it might be. That's true insight. But it, it takes a really hustler entrepreneur to go out and collect those data. And so what I encourage my hustlers, and not all the entrepreneurs will do this, myself included, uh, when they go out and they hustle their butts off and they have these interviews, is to capture those conversations just like you guys did with me with a photo to show that it actually happened. And then with the pitch deck, you drop those photos in. And so you're telling the story of your startup and saying, we came in on day one. I met Mark in the dorm room. We had this genius, uh, brilliant idea, you know, and then we, uh, you know, we, we devised a way that we could hack together a prototype and we went out and showed it to, you know, 50 people. And you know what? After we showed it to 50 people, almost all 50 told us that it was the stupidest thing they've ever seen. And, you know, we had this major aha moment. That's what investors, that's what supporters, that's what programs that support entrepreneurs want to hear. Because that shows that you're not an egomaniac. It shows that you're a learner. And that's, again, learning equals insight equals success in this in this equation. So. It, it's it's wonderful. So again, it's it's not so. So the the reason I think pitching gets a bad rap in the startup community is that the the old version of of pitching is very tied to ego and this, like you know you know the typical pitcher. They stand up and they you know they talk about the, the market size being a billion right. and the, how they're going to sure. change the world and everybody's going to be using one of these and. Yep. That's but what all f- my early pitches look like. Yep. <laughs> well, but they were good, Mark. I gotta yeah. say, he, he he snowballed a lot of yeah. judges. They're better career. now. They're better now. Let's put it that way. But you're so right. I mean, a lot of because I sat through a lot of pitches too with Venture Ready. Uh, I know you did. And you see the same 
um, pitch, which it's kind of funny. I have um, a pitch template. And, um, you know, you have to go through your competitor analysis, your market analysis, your pro forma, and all of these certain pro steps. And, you know, it always looks like a hockey stick, right? Like, oh, we're going to lose money, but then it's just going to, like, be tenfold and we're going to make tons of cash. But you're right. I mean, at first I was kind of skeptical about this lean startup pitch, but it makes a lot of sense because investors will see something that's more tangible and it's going to make them think outside the box from this old school way of pitching where it's just hypothetical and it's fluff. Yep. So that's really cool. Do you have any um, stories or experiences with students or companies that have pitched this way? Yeah, we're still in the early phases of really rolling this out at scale. Um, but the good news is this this happens pretty quickly um, at ASU, just given the number of students that we're interacting with. But I'd lo- like I said, I'd love to see this happen more um, out in the community as well. But uh, let me see here. Um, I don't want to name any names or anything, but uh, I can tell you in terms of an example, you know, just like you said, Hillary, I mean, I've seen all those pitches you described as well. Um, But when you have a team come in and really show the genesis from V1, where it was kind of that fluffed up hypothetical, like we're going to solve the world's problems with this product to that point kind of in the middle where where they go through a couple of slides where they show you know, key informants of their customer discovery work that really influenced how they changed a very key feature or benefit of their product or service. And and they tell the story of that individual person. Like, it's not just some random survey taker. It's like, hey, this is our first customer. You know, this person literally said to us, I'm going to probably give it away, but on the ski slopes that they would give us $100 if they could buy our prototype right out of the back of our trunk. You know, and, and when you hear a startup tell that kind of story, it's like, okay, they, they're, they're either uh, – clearly they're onto something or if they're not, they're savvy enough to, to tweak the design and go back to the drawing board because they're out there soliciting feedback or getting you know, actual end user or customer data. So, so yeah, that's kind of a bad uh, shady example, but, but I can absolutely assure you, you know, from, a, from a, a mentor or from an advisor or an instructor or supporter perspective – it's just so much more enjoyable to hear a, a pitch that still has all the same components you mentioned. It starts with the problem, solution, uh, you know, team, uh, market, competitive analysis, all those things that are in a basic slide deck, but they're all underpinned by customer discovery. So no slide ever starts with you know, the top-down analysis of what could happen always starts with the, the bottom-up analysis. So I want to give another shout-out to one of the thought leaders, Bill Allett out of MIT, uh, wrote a book called 24 uh, Steps uh, Toward Disciplined Entrepreneurship. So the word disciplined maps onto this conversation in terms of evidence. So again, it all, it all relates back to just flat-out hard work. But, he, you know, he makes a really great point that, you know, as you're talking about your market opportunity, you start by counting noses. Who is the very first person that's going to listen to the podcast? Who is the very first person that's going to buy the product or service? So if you can describe that customer archetype in just painstaking detail, or better yet, show me a photo of your first, you know, person who followed you on Twitter or, you know, subscribed or whatever it is, then everything else builds very naturally off of that. So it's just super exciting because, you know, again, we've spent literally the past century century so caught up in this like, oh, just follow me. I'm the visionary entrepreneur. To now it's like, 
we've got a bunch of we've got all these researchers running around like collecting data ready to be steered in a completely different direction than they had started on day one and it's just so thrilling you know it's crazy yeah for sure and and it's uh, not to say that uh none of that customer discovery and evidence-based um methodology wasn't happening before no it's always has been it's just your point is is uh more of an emphasis is being placed on it now and uh tying that into um a a narrative that's more engaging yeah uh yeah i like the sound of all that and and i would add uh, based on what you're describing right now um if i were to add to the chorus myself uh i would say that it would be Probably of equal importance from the customer discovery side and saying in having evidence that yeah they will buy it at X price. It's equally important to make sure that you provide ample evidence that you can sell it at that price while still making money. Because uh, I think that's another piece yeah. that even with a lot of the companies that are these unicorns nowadays with these massive valuations, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Uh, they don't have that piece in there. No. Um, at least not to the extent that it should be. Um, but hey, Twitter's I'm I'm, I'm, I'm no investor. Well, exactly. Yeah. So so I think, um, yeah, I remember one of the most uh, notable updates that was made to the ARP source pitch at any given time was the inclusion of a value chain and showing where our product fit within the entire water treatment technology ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so we were one little box, but there was 10 other boxes around us and little lines going this way and that way. It was an appendix slide, mind you. I mean, it, <laughs> right. was, it was a busy slide. But, the, but what I'm saying is that, um, you know, it made a lot of sense to put that in there because we could demonstrate that not only do we understand what the end user wants and have evidence to support it at the kind of pricing that they were comfortable with, but we needed to be able to demonstrate that uh, – we could deliver a product on time at enough of a margin. price yeah. to give us a good gross margin. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that sort of... And you wouldn't have yeah. been able to develop that without talking to the customer, right? right? I mean, and, so that, and that's not, the Not to mention your suppliers, too. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, yeah, equally important, I believe, is to make sure that you fully understand what that value chain is, meaning where do you get your raw material, who built it for you, uh, how do you get it distributed to the customers, how do you get paid, and what are all the different uh, costs of goods that are given to you, uh, you know, that you pay or revenues that come in during that entire chain. Yep. Uh, it's basically mm-hmm. like building out an equation. And so, You're right. um, that, yeah, that's my, that's my two cents in re- uh, regards to this, uh, this evidence, evidence-based pitching is, yeah, make sure that it's not only a customer side, but also a supply side. You know what, what I like about this too, is how, you know, I myself, who I want to be an entrepreneur, um, and other folks that I, I talk to a lot who want to be entrepreneurs is that it's always a very daunting task because you don't know where to start. This is a great place to start and it'll probably build confidence too even if you hear a lot of no's, because the benefit of the no's is that it helps you learn something new to take you in a new direction that leads you to a yes. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to start a company, I think this would probably help to give you a good place to start. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because um, the other uh, key point I wanted to make was, uh, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is using this pitch deck as a tool by which you can constantly monitor the progression of the development of your temporary organization. 
aka the startup. And so Mark can back this up. His pitch deck changed, even though it wasn't grounded in this kind of method we're talking about here today. It's a it's a dynamic document. You know, it, it's going to evolve after every meeting or external you know uh, conversation you have. So. Getting back to like cohorts of startups, if you are a startup out in the community right now and you have a mentor, whether it be SCORE or whether it be, you know, at, at a university or, or, or otherwise in the ACA, what I would encourage you to do is when you're having these mentor meetings or, or kind of fact checking what it is that you're working on with people that are, are in a position to support you, you always start with the deck. Just start by providing the presentation because all the questions that the mentor wants to know are embedded within the slide deck. And here's the magic thing about this, and here's another insight that I've gleaned in after years of doing this, is that the magic number to get to a point where you've got something that is pretty well polished is three. Three is a great number in the startup world anyway, but your version one of your evidence-based slide deck is going to be complete crap, and it is really rough. Version two, after you go out and collect more data from customer interviews, it's going to get stronger, and the narrative is going to get more engaging. By the third time you come in, after you do maybe 20 or 30 or even 50 more interviews, that third version of the evidence-based pitch deck is like gold. And I tell my students, even the freshmen, that I would, after the third version of going through this method, if they followed it and they hustled, I would put them up in front of anybody nationally, even Sand Hill Road. I mean, that's a stretch because a lot of them are (laughs) pre-revenue, but... uh, but it, I, I can tell you, you know, you asked Hillary for examples. I can tell you that without naming names that I've seen this. I've seen the efficacy of this method work uh, in, in accelerators and in incubators and in the classroom. So I'm, I'm really pumped about it. That's cool. So are you guys planning to incorporate this? It sounds like you have, but are you planning to incorporate this template as another tool on top of the business model canvas? Yeah. So when you are when you have your business model kind of ironed out, now you're ready, you've done all your customer interviews, all that kind of stuff, and now you're yep. on to pitching. So now let's use this template. Yeah, and we're, we're working out the flow on that. Uh, at ASU, many of you know my colleague, uh, Sydney Peck. She leads uh, the Center for Entrepreneurship within uh, W.P. Carey School of Business. So we collaborate uh, brilliantly. And she's got an amazing course that's based off of the Steve Blank model uh, called Lean Launchpad. And so it, it really takes the students through a very hardcore method of going through all nine boxes of the business model canvas. And so she and I, you know, I, we talked about that class and how that's positioned with kind of the course that I'm describing or the method that I'm describing and taking those data and mapping them onto a pitch deck. So right now we've kind of got them out of order in the sequence of classes. But, you know, we have students floating all over the place. But, yes, in a perfect world – we would have a sequence by which, and this is what I'm encouraging your listeners to do, is to really do a deep dive into kind of this. And there's plenty of stuff on the web. You don't have to go and take Sydney's class, but do a deep dive into the history of kind of lean startup. I would read The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. I would read Business Model uh, Generation by Alistair Wilder. You've got the two pieces. And then uh, the Kaufman Founder School uh, has all sorts of videos that help you deploy or actually uh, – leverage the tactics to go out and and do this the right way. But after you've done that, then to to answer your question, yeah, I think uh, the next step of having that kind of black and white business model canvas with, you know, things crossed off and post-its stuck here and there is to translate that onto the evidence-based pitch deck. And so 
don't misunderstand me. This is not earth shattering. You know, this is not necessarily an original idea. This is an evolution of things and tools that we've been, uh, you know, uh, blessed with and, and have been shared with us as an institution. So, I'm not. I'm not sitting here today, yeah. you know, trying to sell snake oil here. It's, right. it's kind of common sense. I mean, ex- that's exactly what I was about to say. I mean, it all is. It all makes sense when you just think about it, and all the pieces in a disparate fashion make sense too. Just the whole thing that you're trying to get across is prioritizing what comes first, and uh, and creating little milestones or trigger points where you know when you can achieve you know when you can go after or expand your scope of what you're trying to get done Mm -hmm. as a team and depending on how much that scope increases and that's a matter of building that team and before you know it you uh, you have a business up and running assuming you can sell product and make money then that's always the big (laughs) you looked right at hillary when i I know (laughs) (laughs) okay brent well we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor break, when we come back, we'll close out the show with the executive insight round. I'm so nervous. And, uh, I'm pumped. And see what you say there. So, um, yeah, we'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by the city of Peoria. More people and businesses are making Peoria, Arizona their home. Not only is Peoria known for its quality of life, but it's smart businesses with innovative ideas. The strategy is simple. Increase the number of employers and opportunities by implementing programs that help businesses grow. Visit peoriaaz.gov to learn how you can join the many smart businesses that have already made the move to Peoria. And we're back. We're here with Brent Seabolt from Arizona State University. And we're going to close out the show, Brent, with our ever-famous executive insight round. So I just have five questions here for you uh, just to, yeah, get some insight into how you think about any random number of stuff. So um, in the spirit of Halloween, what is your favorite Halloween costume? Great question, Mark. Thanks for asking me because I haven't thought about that yet, and it's the day before. <laughs> uh, my favorite uh, costume, I'm just going to go back to my childhood. Um, I was an overweight child, and my mom <laughs> – this is like counseling. No, <laughs> uh, it was great. We, we had bought some household appliance, and my mom was very crafty, and she um, – cut armholes in the box it was kind of a rectangular box and she put a ton of work into it she spray painted it brown and cut out individual letters i was a hershey bar Mm. so i went to the school you know monster mash up and won that's awesome a hershey bar you know i had uh, the brown sweatpants underneath (laughs) oh boy man i hope there's some picture evidence of that no there are there's no photo okay Next question for you, Brent. Watch out, son. Uh, I'm coming for you next. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Brent, what was the last picture you took with your phone? Uh, It was of my my kids. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier we just had our second child. Logan Rose was born on August 12th, and we have a a two-and-a-half-year-old son, Calvin. So beautiful, beautiful kids. They got all my wife's good looks. Thank goodness. Well, again, (laughs) congratulations on that. Uh, Last picture I took on my phone, reason I put it in it, 
I saw this um, really cool praying mantis uh, in my backyard when I was like doing some little chores out there. So cool. Yeah, those bugs not, are yeah. wild. Not as inspirational as taking picture of children of, of my. Yeah. It, well, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, what is a habit you're proudest of breaking or perhaps want to break? Therapy. I know. Seriously, what is up with this, Mark? Well, I'll give you a quick example, the reason I put on here. So I used to bite my nails as a kid, you know, middle school, high school, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, it was a really nasty habit. But um, just I either grew out of – I mean, I knew I wanted to stop, especially when it – you know, needing to be in more professional situations. Obviously, you want to look your best, right? So, um, yeah, just kind of broke it. Wow. That's that's really because I bite my nails, too. So I applaud you for that. I'm going to flip the script and say I have a habit I don't want to break. And that's okay. uh, drinking craft beer, locally sourced craft beer here in the state of Arizona. Uh, big shout out to the Craft Brewers Guild. I am not a brewer myself, but I'm a huge fan of these guys that, you know, it's the maker culture. You know, right. it's these people that are literally in their garage brewing up, you know, something that it's very special to them, and yep. a lot of heart and soul goes into this. And so, you can to weave see, very nice stories into that that helps mm-hmm. you from a exactly. customer standpoint, among other things. That's yeah. exactly right. So I'm a huge fan of what's going on in Arizona. Uh, my wife and I are big. Uh, she actually turned me on to the craft beer movement uh, happening here, uh, and you know to hear the stories about big, you know corporate america trying to you know squash these makers is pretty disheartening so i I don't think they're going to win ultimately i think um i think that the makers will will uh overcome and really figure out a way to keep their value proposition fresh and strong and uh, i'm excited to be a part of that uh i know a lot of the brewers i've met them i've actually sought them out as a fan you know to 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 go and like meet them and thank them for you know making making the tasty stuff that they make and uh my yeah. wife and I were trying to hit every single craft brewery uh, before her 30th birthday, and uh, we didn't make it. Uh, oh, my God. They, it just keeps exploding. Like, literally right. every it's, year there's yeah. five or ten more that open up. So I think it's great. You know, if you look back in history, you know, in England, it, the, the pub was like the community center, you know, where people would come. And it was almost like a co-working space for entrepreneurs where you go and you share you know, stories or wild things you're working on or what's happening in your neck of the woods. And it's a community gathering place. And so I think, you know, craft breweries could add a lot uh, to to our social fabric. And I think it should be a place where entrepreneurs go and, and get work done. Okay, Brent, next question for you. If you could retire tomorrow, and maybe you could, I don't even know. Uh, no, I can't. It, well, I, I work for the state. If you could, how would you spend your time? You know, for, like I mentioned, I mean, my family is really important to me right now. Uh, we're we're having a blast, my wife and I, uh, with with two little ones, and we've actually already started our retirement uh, journey. I'm inheriting uh, a 1967 pull behind travel travel trailer from my grandparents. That'll be in my RV. Uh, side of my house mm. here That's awesome. on Thanksgiving. So it's like total retro, but our goal for the, a piece of the goal of having this trailer is to take our kids every summer and we're going to try to hit every single major league baseball stadium in the country. So we won't be able to hit them all on the road. We'll probably have to fly to a few, uh, but that that's how I would do it. If I was completely retired, we'd just speed up the process yeah. and hit all, all of them next year. But That's awesome. Yeah. 
That's cool. Uh, okay, so the last question for you, Brent, this is the standard question for all of our guests, is uh, if you could go back in time to uh, that point where you first got involved with entrepreneurship in any form, you know, it's up for you to d- define what that means. Uh, so if you could go back in time to that point, what advice would you give yourself? I think I mentioned earlier, um, I actually studied entrepreneurship as an undergrad. And the reason the reason I chose that discipline, it was crazy that the school even offered it. I went to a, a smaller school in the state of Ohio, Ohio University, the Bobcats, and uh, the business school was very forward thinking and actually rolling out that degree in the in the mid to late '90s. And I was one of six in that major uh, freshman year, and it turned out they ended up disestablishing it because they couldn't afford to keep keep it going with only six yeah. <laughs> six enrollments, but. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I got into entrepreneurship, uh, kind of hoping to merge my creativity. Uh, I, I told Hillary earlier I played the drums, and we were, you know, my first foray into entrepreneurship was slinging, you know, CDs out of the back of a car and trying to promote concerts and stuff. And, you know, I'm gonna, I'd preach what I'm preaching to you all is to really take much more of a uh, data-driven approach rather than an ego approach. Because when you're where, when you're a creative, you think that whatever's in your mind eye, as long as it can be built and and put out there for public consumption, will be consumed uh, at the value it, it should be consumed at. And and nine times out of ten, as we know as entrepreneurs, that's typically wrong. Whatever that initial vision you have in your mind's eye or in your in your head. So yeah, I mean, I would have myself listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that advice very much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wild. Well, you guys are well, great. I love you both. Thank you so much for well, having me. Yeah. Thank you too, Brent. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that closes out our executive insight round. Just uh, get that out of the way. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, we really um, appreciate the fact that you could be on here, take the time away from your family, that uh, your growing family. And uh, no, I'm on the clock still. So oh, you can thank, that, AS, you thank the taxpayers for <laughs> my true. time. Uh, so, so all you taxpayers out there, make sure you listen to this, get some value right. out of the experience. Um, so, Brent, uh, is, to close up the show, is there an, anything else that uh, you'd like to plug, uh, you know, whether or not it's ASU-related? Just what, what are the parting words or, uh, you know, something that you want our listeners to come away with and, and something they should know about? Uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, Um I'm more than happy to provide some of the key links uh, to some of the deeper resources that I've drawn on for this interview uh, for your okay. website. So hopefully we can share those. So we'll, I'll plug, yep. I'll plug my predecessors who have you know empowered me to speak much more intelligently about this topic than you know my 1990s business professors did. So uh, no offense to them, they were just working with the tools they had at the time. Right. But uh, my plug will be for my current startup which is uh, the startup center within the Fulton Schools of Engineering. So we're, f- we're friendly to everyone, uh, regardless of whether you're a current student, regardless of discipline. That's the beautiful thing about ASU is whether you're studying art or education or design or business or engineering or anything in between, uh, we want you to practice value creation in whatever unique way you want to practice it. So happy to help you. So it's um, just uh, you can just Google search ASU, uh, Fulton Schools of Engineering Startup Center or some shortened version of that, and you will sure. find the URL. Mm-hmm. On the URL on the website, uh, you can sign up for our, our kind of our newsletter. 
Okay. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. We have right now five uh, followers. So um, <laughs> we're a startup, you know. Sure. So and I, and I'm not looking. That's vanity. Like yeah, we talked yeah, about, it that's is. vanity. That's yeah. Matter, ultimately, you're right. So, so yeah. okay, great. Yeah, we'll yes. make sure to uh, to get those links uh, from you and and post them. And uh, yeah, to uh, have people note that the startup center at uh, Fulton School of Engineering is out there, and that you are the guy that uh, will. Um, respond. You're the point person for anyone uh, listening that wants to get some more information or uh, get plugged into those resources somehow. Uh, okay, great. Well, again, thank you, Brent. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, and, Brent. Uh, thank you. Yes, Appreciate you having me. You are. Yeah. Plugging them all. So, just a, a quick reminder: um, don't forget to learn more about the show by visiting startupsatoz.com. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and. Last and most importantly, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your podcast library of choice. So, uh, yeah, until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.